0: But the art too, I think as a a seller, is to do it with a bias. But, I mean, you have to, you're not a therapist, right? You're, you're, no. And the best example I was taught was, if you had a tumor, and you went to a surgeon, an oncologist, and a radiologist, they would all diagnose your tumor with their bias. The surgeon would want to cut it out, The oncologist would want to poison it, and the radiologist would want to nuke it. Based on what.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Mike Bosworth. Mike is one of the true legends in the sales profession. He's the author and the creator of Solution Selling, and the creator and co author of Customer Centric Selling, both of which a huge impact on the way we sell and continue to to this day. To this day, And I always learn so much when I talk sales with Mike. And the last time he was on the show, we talked about the problem of discovery resistance. Discovery resistance on the part of the buyers and why this causes even good sellers to struggle to meet their targets. In our conversation today, Mike and I are talking about two other forms of resistance the experience on part of buyers that have an impact on you as a seller. One is proposal avoidance. And the other is negotiation avoidance. We also talk about the paramount importance of the buyer's experience with you, the individual seller, and how you can avoid becoming the emotional victim of all the bad experiences your buyers had in their life to date with other salespeople. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Mike, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. Let's jump into it. With Mike Bosworth. Mike Bosworth, welcome back to the show.
0: Happy to be here. I think this is my third trip in the last couple years.
1: Yeah, no, you're, like, maybe one more. You qualify for the Blazer, I think. Uh, (laughs) That's what they do on Saturday Night Live. I think when somebody hosts more than five times, they give them a (laughs) ornamental Blazer. So, uh, yeah. all right, You're you're one away from the Blazer. All right. Uh, Yeah, well, good to see you, as always. Good to see you, yeah. So, um, yeah, we were going to talk about a couple of really interesting topics that so we don't actually I never even really heard the term so you, uh, till you brought them up and actually not in a, a commercial sales perspective actually you search online you can find other things about them but so last yeah. time you we are here we talked about discovery resistance which I a a topic I loved which was yeah, uh, yeah why, why sellers have a hard time getting their questions answered
0: and that's and, becoming human you're, they're not going to answer your questions until they think you're a human being Exactly. So you've built
1: some credibility yeah. and trust. To, and I was yeah. say in my book, until you earn the right to stick your nose into their business. Right. I mean, right. I mean it's Yeah. Discovery is meant to be intrusive, I think. Right? I mean it's that's how, how else do you learn something unless you're being intrusive?
0: Uh, I, I I might argue with you a little bit. Um, if you've you've created enough. Credibility that they're open—they're open to sharing a problem with you. Yeah. Then your discovery after that's pretty easy. The big one is getting them to trust you enough to admit a problem to you.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't using intrusive in sort of the uh, negative sense. It's more like you have to go beyond the surface, right? It has to be something that that goes deep. Otherwise, you're never really going to learn what's really most important to them.
0: But the art too. I think as a a seller, is to do it with a bias. But, I mean, you have to, you're not a therapist, right? No, no. And the best example I was taught was, if you had a tumor, and you went to a surgeon, an oncologist, and a radiologist, they would all diagnose your tumor with their bias. Mm -hmm. The surgeon would want to cut it out, the oncologist would want to poison it, and the radio- radiologist would want to nuke it. Right. Okay, based on what they're selling. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah, it's hard to
1: eliminate that that bias. I mean, there's a a great book I've talked about on the show before called "Blind Spot," the sometimes the hidden hidden biases of good people. I believe that it was. Yeah. Was yeah. study by <laughs> the scientists at Harvard, just said that. We all have these biases that we carry with yeah. us. I mean, to your point about the medical profession, you know, my wife teaches medical school at NYU, and they they have one course they teach doctors, aspiring doctors, uh, about the practice of medicine and about how there's. If I remember that correctly, I think it was there's 24 biases a doctor has to sort of consciously wade through when they're meeting with a patient.
0: Woo! To make sure That's they're really brain, I, I think isn't it?
1: Yeah, but it's like, well, it's age, gender. You know, where they uh, live, yeah, the what yeah, they do, yeah. how they dress. I mean, there was a list of things. It's like they all have an impact on you know, how you're listening to someone.
0: Right, right. Wow. And
1: how you ultimately understand what's, what the problem is. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, so we talked about discovery resistance last time. This time we're heading a little different direction. Mm. And, and you've been talking about proposal avoidance and negotiation avoidance. So yes. let's, start with, let's start with proposal
0: avoidance. So what, what is that? Well, both of these came to me when I was a rookie sales rep at Xerox Computer Services via our CEO at the time, Jim Campbell, who was Ross Perot's sales manager at IBM. Okay. And Ross Perot is one of the greatest salespeople IBM has ever had. And you know why he left, because he maxed out his comp plan by January 30th, and IBM put a ceiling on his earnings on his earnings, earnings and, right and so he left so ross Perot, he hated doing proposals and so anyway um proposal avoidance was standard operating procedure at xerox computer services so after we get credibility they mm-hmm. admit pain we do some intelligent discovery right and, and we get a, a buying vision. So, you know, if it were possible, with a major change in a vendor delivery that you could replan your entire pl- uh, production overnight, would that help you improve your service to your customers? And they said, yes. Then, you know, after you create a buying vision, now they want proof. And mm-hmm. so now you take them out to a customer, you give them a demo. So once they're, they've got a vision and proof, Now, you say to your prospect, Landy, if we get down the road and it looks like you're going to want to do business with us, will you want a proposal? I never had a single prospect say no to that question. Mm -hmm. They all say, oh yeah, we'll want a proposal. And then, this is the Ross Perot thing, he used to call it the yellow pad, but then we were taught to say, well... I just want you to know up front that at our company, it's our it's our what's the word I want policy. Policy is that you will never learn anything new from a proposal. From right. our perspective, the proposal is a is a vehicle to document and confirm all the elements of our doing business together if we get to a point in the future where it both looks like we want to do business together. Does that make sense? They all said yes to that. And then, what Ross Perot would do, and he'd say, well, what I'd like to propose to you is one week before I owe you your proposal, I'd like to come in with all my notes, because he'd have all his notes on a yellow pad, and he'd say, "I want to make sure. I want to go through all my notes with you a week before I owe you the proposal because I don't. I only want to do it once, and you don't want any surprises." In fact, then they had to type them up, so it was a huge. Oh, yeah. I believe
1: huge... You, I, I did some of those. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so so the prospect would say, "Okay, that makes sense." So now, then, you know, we uh, we would send out a proposed buying step plan. So mm-hmm. on this week we'll do proof, and then go no go with go no go points. And right. then the next step would be um, we'll take you into our headquarters, and meet our CEO, go no go. Then the next step is we wanna come out and roll our sleeves up and do an ROI that you guys really believe is feasible. Go, no, go. We'd like to have your technical people come out to our data center and da, 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 go, no, go. And what we'd also like to do, and this is key to negotiation avoidance later, is at a certain point, we'd like to give the who's liable for what, our standard agreement, so your lawyers and our lawyers can agree to who's liable for what now there's no money on the agreement then right it's just a right. standard thing and they and lawyers hate that the The corporate lawyers all want money in there so they can be heroes right so one of the keys is separate the legal from the business issues mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the lawyers only get to You know, talk about liability and da 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 da, but it has nothing to do with the dollars and the cents. Right. They hate it, but they do it. So now I'm at the last meeting before I owe you a proposal. And I say, well, you know, Andy, I owe you a proposal one week from today. And, um, I just want to go through all my notes and make sure we're together and everything. So, you know, here's where this, every, this guy got this proof here and your CFO got this proof here. And, you know, the your, our contract's been through legal and your lawyers and our lawyers have done this and the ROI says it's going to pay for itself in X and dot, 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 dot. Are we good to go? And they would say, yep, yeah, we're good to go. And then you get up and you start to do a Columbo and say, you know, your lawyers and our lawyers have already agreed to it. We know what the money is. And, you know, you've got the needs, you've got the training schedule, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. If we could go ahead today, we could bump another 25000 it's the payback. is twenty five thousand a week, or whatever, whatever the weekly payback right. is. I before I came out here today, I checked with my implementation people. And I said, you know, we're really in good shape here. If they want to go early, are you guys ready? They said they can start early. So, you know, avoid the problem. 20. Well, and then and then they so they sign the agreement, right? And and then I say, well, so how much of this do you want me to document? And they, and they say, well, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. And they say, no, we're good because the agreement is the only thing that's really there. But the other key thing by selling them on the idea of a pre-proposal review a week before the proposal is due right. is, when, is when you do the surprise close, they haven't been thinking about risk. And if you leave, if I, you know, if I say, "See you next week with your proposal, Andy," you're going to wake up for the next seven nights thinking about all the things that can go wrong. Oh, right, right. And so we're avoiding that. And no. so at, at Zero Computer Services. I might have done a proposal 25% of the time just because they wanted it all. And and I always offered after they signed, said, how much, you know, you want me to make this pretty so you can send it to your board or whatever. I'll do it. I already have a contract, right? Yeah. I'd be happy to type it up and make it pretty if that's what you want. But if you're dealing with the power person, they have signed the agreement. They're good. Yep.
1: Yeah. Right. So I, I, I like that. I mean, I love the approach. It's, it's, yeah, I and mean, we, we we sort of taught from the same school some of the same same things. It's like, yeah, I I, I see this today. Like you go on LinkedIn and people talk about yeah you know, proposals, this proposals that, and winning proposals. Like, oh god, I never, yeah. won, I never won anything on a proposal. I mean, if 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 I was going to win on a proposal, I was
0: in trouble, right? I mean, yeah, I had to win be. the deal before the proposal. Um, well, when in, in my sales training business over the years, one of the uh, KPIs or success metrics, right? And this isn't just for the company, this is by salesperson, right? Is what's their proposal to contract ratio? And some of these companies, they're responding to blind RFPs, they're pumping out 10, 15, 20, 25 proposals for every contract they get. Yeah, no, it's great. It's crazy. Now I used to say, proposals don't sell, salespeople sell. <laughs> Pru- proposals fill columns, And because of the way the corporate America buys, they need, you know, the buying rules for so many companies. They need, three, three bids, right. three, three proposals. Bids. Yeah. yeah. And well, we,
1: were, we would use I and mean, even when we were selling some big stuff that was sales, you know, seven figures and more it was, it was quotes. Right? We'd give yeah. people quotes. Um, yeah. And if we really got forced into it, let's say if we got down selected, it was a big search, and they down selected the final two or three, and then they wanted a, a proposal, then you might do it. But even at that point, we oftentimes wouldn't do the proposal
0: unless we really knew we were going to win the business. Absolutely. It's too much yeah. work. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the big thing, you know, is there are, they always equate proposal with price. And so when when I talk about the pre-proposal review, the, uh, about not learning anything new from the proposal, I'd say, you know, if, if we figure out the price in week three, you're going to know the price in week three. We're not going to make you wait for the proposal to see the price. We're not going to make you wait for the proposal to, to see the training schedule or any of that. Because there's nothing new in the proposal. If you can define it that way,
1: well, it's such an important lesson for sellers to learn, is that this idea of a reliance on a proposal to be like uh it's like a reliance on sort of you know a final bake off presentation, we're all gonna come in and do that. It's yeah. like Yeah. No. no. I in my no. mind, I, I was I never wanted to be in that position. I always wanted to make sure that if <laughs> if there was gonna be like a final RFP <clears throat> That when the competitors opened up, they saw this andy size hole in it, right? Because yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I wanted to be all about me, uh, yeah. and you get to that buying vision milestone early and so on. But yeah, I think it's it's such a, a great strategy for sellers to think about is is yeah, how can you avoid giving a proposal and really increase your odds of winning the business?
0: And you know, you, you ask a salesperson. Um, during the cell cycle if they're really engaged with you right. when you call them up, the another thing to track is how long does it take them to return your call and if they're engaged they'll, they'll call back pretty quickly but then I'll say to them once you deliver that proposal how quickly do they call you back and they don't right. now they're in risk now they've got column A, column B, column C you have no leverage right? yeah. so
1: yeah oh yeah that, that's it's like that it's a great strategy and for sellers to think about it as you, know, you think about your milestones you put together your account plan as you talked about before is yeah include this proposal step review in it i mean i like to do those on whiteboards
0: right where yeah. you draw, you're yeah. drawing it out for them yeah. And, yeah it could be your notes and or, oh, right or about different emails or yeah yeah but the but the real key is Any proposal you get from us will contain no information you are seeing for the first time. Right. And I just want to add if you sell that, then you can avoid it.
1: Right. And I was just gonna add is when you do that pre-proposal review, is one thing your competitors won't ask, and I write about this in my latest book, is when you get everybody's nodding heads, yes, this is what we talked about, this is what we need, so on and so forth, ask. So what are we missing? One last question. What are we missing?
0: Yeah. Give them one Before laptop. we go to press, That's right. before we bring this proposal back next week, anything else we're missing.
1: Right. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes you get things that pop up, and they're not going to run out and share it with the other the, the other vendors. This was yours. I mean, yeah. so no, it's 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 a great strategy. So so then let's talk about negotiation avoidance then. All right. This, this, well this is one of my favorites, and I've got my
0: perspective. I'd like to hear yours. All right. Well. The first thing I try and do when I talk about negotiation to salespeople is get them to really understand the difference between a cost objection and a price objection. And what I do is I say, how many of you have purchased a car for yourself? And everybody raises their hand. I say, well, how many of you knew ahead of time, either your friend had one or you read a car review on Car and Driver or whatever, how many of you knew ahead of time pretty much which car you wanted to buy? Most of them were raising their hand. And I say, well, how many of you knew what the sticker was, that what the list price of that car was ahead of time? And they all raise their hand. And then I say, how many of you with that knowledge of which car You know, and and the price and everything ahead of them went out with serious intent to buy that car. And they all raised their hands. Mm -hmm. And I say, how many of you wanted to pay sticker? All their hands go down. I say, well, that's the difference between cost justified and price justified, because... You knew the cost, and the fact that you went out with serious intent to buy, in your mind, whatever they were asking that car was, it was cost justified. If you can't afford a $225,000 Bentley, you don't go out and drive one. You don't go out with serious intent to buy. Right. So you're there with serious intent to buy. And, and then I, and I say, so how many of you want to pay sticker? And they all drop their hands. Right. And I say, well, how is a buyer did you convince yourself you were getting the best possible price? And most of them will admit they, they, they took it away from them. They said, well, you know, Andy, I think I can do better. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put this on hold and stand up and walk out of there. Now, once you do that, they're gonna do one, two things. They're gonna go, wait, 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 let me go talk to my manager. Right. Or they're going to let you go. Right. Now, if they let you leave, what did you learn? That was the best price. Right? Mm-hmm. And... If you, uh, and I said, so if you walk out on that, and I'd say, you walk out on a brother salesperson who's trying to feed his family and send his kids to college, and they'd go, hell yes, I want the best price. <laughs> and they all readily admit that they would take it away from a, 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 a brother salesperson. Right. And then I said, but of course, your prospects are much too stupid to do that to you, aren't they? And then they get the deer in the headlights. Because now we're not talking about a $40,000 car. We're talking about an $800,000 deal. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and then I'd say to them, we're usually in a nice hotel to do the workshop, I say. How many of you guys, in, I know this is a personal question, but when you're up in your fancy hotel room, how many of you use those nice fluffy white washcloths they give you in the shower? And you know, a few of them will go like, "Hey, I'll use a washcloth." Yeah, they weren't happy to volunteer that, but they would volunteer it. And then I say, "So, uh, when you're in the shower with that washcloth, what do you do when it gets full of water?" And they say, "Well, I wring it out." And I say, "How do you know when to stop squeezing that washcloth?" And they say when it stops dripping right and I say well you know when you're out there to get the deal in the buyers mind you're a washcloth and they're gonna take one squeeze and see if you drip right and they're gonna take another squeeze and see if you drip and they're not gonna stop squeezing until you stop dripping and So, before you even get to a negotiation, I used to have my salespeople fill out a pre-negotiating worksheet, and I'd have them write out two or three polite no's. So, when the buyer asks the first time, well, you know, know, we're going to have a long-term thing here, can't you take a little bit off, it'll make my boss look good, first polite no is you want service. You want the best people out here. We need to maintain our prices in order to give you the support you're gonna need to make this thing work. That's a polite no. Yep. And then they used to say, well, you know, Mike, I looked at this and the amount of profit you're making in this thing is obscene. We only make this much profit in our business. It looks like you're making that much profit in your business. You know, they're they're good at squeezing. They go to, to buying school and you give them another plight no. And so we haven't negotiated yet. Right. And so our rule was, until you said no politely, at least two or three times, there is no negotiation. And the funny thing is about American buyers, is they, it's emotional. They just need to be convinced they're getting Mm -hmm. the best price. And if you give them two or three really plight nose, business-oriented, logical, plight pl- nose, vast majority of the time, 80% of the time, they'd say, okay, and they, they'd sign. They just wanted, I'd say your biggest challenge is having the stomach to, say, no, right. to withstand the squeezing. Because if they got an IQ over body temperature, they're going to squeeze you until you stop dripping. And just think about when you go out to that car, you squeeze that car salesperson and the way you squeeze, you got up and left. Mm-hmm. And he'd be very happy to take that call in an hour from you and say, okay, Andy, I've looked around. I, I agree. That's the best price I'm going to get. Can I get in, come in and pick the car up? And they'd be, they'll welcome you with open arms, even though you made him wait an hour. Right. right? So it's, so the price negotiation thing, that, that am I getting the best price is highly emotional. And so if on the rare occurrence that the two or three plight knows wouldn't work, okay, now we have to transition to a real negotiation. And again, this all has to be thought out in advance. Then the transition is, well, Andy... The only possible way I could do anything for you is if you could do something for me. Right. exchange, right? Right. But think about the sequence. Now the buyer says, like what? So you get to put what you want on the Mm -hmm. table first. So if there were some way that we could get this deal done before December 31st so we could get it in this fiscal year, I could do something for you. And if they come back and say, well, that's possible, then you can say, well, if that's possible, I'm willing to put an extra 100 hours of on-site support for the next 90 days onto this project. Now you're negotiating. It's a give and get. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, with American buyers, the plight knows, get it for you. You don't have to do anything except have the stomach to withstand the squeezing. So you're really avoiding a real negotiation.
1: Yeah, no, I, I like it. I, mean, I I, I have sort of different strategies I was using for complex stuff for avoiding negotiations, which was... I like to draw the analogy of you've seen this game they called the what was it Jenga tower you build with the blocks and you pull one out of
0: Right right? Yeah, yeah. As you, you <laughs>
1: construct your deal that way as you're going through working with the buying committee and the P various stakeholders, is yeah. through a series of trade-offs, right? Because basically selling right. at this point it's just trade-offs. You want to do this or this, this or this? Yeah. And so you make this puzzle complete. Based on the needs of everybody, you get the confirmation, yeah, we want to do this, we want to do this. Uh, yeah, we don't want to do that. We'd love to do this instead of that. And it fits together as this nice little package. And so then when it goes to a, maybe procurement or it goes to um, you know final decision maker and they said, oh, you know, we'd like to take you know, 10% off the price. And you go, no, we could, right. but yeah, we're going to have to you know, de-scope our deliverable.
0: We're gonna to have to take something out yeah, of it. take something yeah, out of it. It's,
1: it's, there's no free ten percent. Right. we're gonna to to take something out of it. You know, happy to do that, right? If that's what, the prices you want. Well, no, 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 because the business guy, the stakeholder, is charged. Us. No, 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 we need that. Okay, great. Well, we'd like to, uh, you know add, yeah, you know, another two pieces of equipment. Yeah, you know, can go. No, no, I can't do that. Or would, would we change the implementation. No, no, if we do that, it's gonna have an impact over here. So happy to do that. And what you do is you put the ball in their court to make a trade-off. Yeah. Right? And it's not yeah. you right. giving in to them. It's like, sure, yeah. here's the package. This is what you want. This, you know, solves your pain points, addresses your desired outcomes, helps you yeah. get to the point you want. You can try to move the pieces around, but it's not gonna be the same solution that you want. Happy to make that's your trade-off.
0: And in most cases, uh, my my rule is we don't negotiate at all with procurement. Procurement, you know, when they send you to procurement, their whole mission is to squeeze you and get to drop. Yeah. And if you just say, give them a, the plate, nose, and walk away, now procurement has to go to the line VP and say, you know, I couldn't get them to, to drop anything on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. They have their procurement has their own KPIs that they need to get. So, no, I know. But well, yeah, that's I so that was minding. My, I my like. strategy is so when something's delivered to procurement, is procurement couldn't pick at it because somebody who's a stakeholder is going to be disadvantaged. They're not going to get right. what they want. Right. And they had negotiated right. with us through how we sell, Bang through go. the trade-offs we made, right? And yep. Yep. that's how, for me, I found it was successful in avoiding a real negotiation. Now, we'd have legal points and stuff that had to be negotiated you know, unavoidable. But we're talking about the business. I, well,
0: I usually I used to try and get the legal stuff done in the middle of the mm-hmm. you know. Your lawyers and I will law- we'll go through the blank. Who's liable for right. what? Let's say separate out the who's liable from for what, with from what we're going to pay for this thing. So let me ask you a, a question about
1: this because this is something I think companies overlook. Is I'm a I wasn't always a believer in this, but worked for a couple companies where it just worked so well, I became a hard a real fast believer in it. Which was especially if you're saying anything with any sort of complexity. Salespeople shouldn't negotiate.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Well, my that, rule was if you're ahead, if you're ahead of quota, the only time I would let a sales rep negotiate is if one, they're ahead of quota, and two, they filled out their pre-negotiation worksheet, which had the two or three plate nos written in and the give and get written in. Yeah, I was going actually going a different approach. direction with that, which was yeah in these companies.
1: We had professional contract negotiators. That was their job. Wow. And, and these wow. are small companies, some, right? But it was became such yeah. a critical role because as a seller, you got the buyer's buy in, right? They want to do business. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, basically, we're in agreement. Now we're get, It's like sellers on to the next thing, right? And so you take the emotion out of it because the seller doesn't have that. And you right. put in the hands of professional negotiators
0: and it, it works so well.
1: And it's like, well,
0: that was my job as their sales
1: manager. Oh yeah. But this was, this
0: was a contracts person, right? <laughs>
1: Sometimes a lawyer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let no, them talk to the yeah, lawyers. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, cause
1: we weren't negotiating
0: price now, now, I right. used to love to go out and negotiate the deals and sep and separate my salespeople from it because I knew they couldn't do it anyway. Right. right. Yeah. Well, what was the what was the worst
1: negotiation story you have?
0: Well, I only really in my career ever hard closed once and I was a manager uh, Xerox at movie East Coast it was New Jersey it was December 31st and we were selling a manufacturing system to this family owned business and the old guy he didn't he, he wasn't ready to do it yet I think his name was Abe and I finally I said, Abe, I'm not leaving here without it. You know it's the right thing to do. And my salesman, Don Shoe- Shoemaker, if you don't do this deal today, you're gonna cost him a trip to Hawaii. So I'm not leaving. <laughs> hard clothes up. And that was the only time I was really an asshole hard closing right. salesperson. Right. But I still remember it very vividly. And finally, He said, well, if I sign today, Don's got to send me a postcard from Hawaii. And I said, Don, can you commit to that? And he said, yeah. And then even as he was signing, he says, I didn't want to do this today. I didn't want to do this today. I didn't want to do this today. But I didn't like selling that way. Me neither. But I did it. Yeah. That once. I
1: (laughs) I had an instance, like my first year in sales, working for Burroughs. Uh, and the boroughs had their branch managers had their big bonus contest of the year. It was in the middle of the year. It was like May, June. So basically anything that wasn't nailed to the floor got shipped to a customer at the end of June. Right. And right. yeah, I had this one customer. I had sort of my first big customers, a construction company, and I spent a lot of time closing, winning the deal, You know, learning how to sell basically on the customer's dime. Yeah as one of my first big deals. And my branch manager decided, no, they need to buy this upsell this additional disk storage space, right? Which right. back in those days was incredibly expensive, right? It was very, it was, it was, very sixty five thousand yeah. dollar piece of equipment you got you get sixty four megabytes of storage <laughs> for sixty five thousand. Which Yeah, you know what's on there? Yeah, no, phone I <laughs> laugh when I see it and this thing was the size of a refrigerator, right? Right, But it right. was on the branch manager's inventory. He had to get it out uh, by the end of the month in order to get his bonus. So he said, yeah, go sell this to this construction company. This is the last day of the, the period. I was like, hey, they're not particularly happy with us right now. We were having some implementation issues and B, they yeah. don't need it. But yeah, this is my story I feel really bad about. <laughs> and he sent me out there. And I went and talked to the CEO of the company, the founder of the company. He said, no, get out of here. What are you talking about? I said, okay. So drive back to my branch office, which was half a mile from this guy's office. Right. Tell the branch manager, yeah, just not happened as I thought. He said, get out there again and get that deal. I'm like, oh, God. I went back and forth Three or four times that day. And the branch manager finally, uh. finally, this was on Friday, obviously, it, it, last day of the month, in a quarter. And he's just yelling, he says, Yeah, you get that order or don't come back on Monday. You ever had that happen? It's like, Yeah, no. oh, it happened, Yeah, I knew he wasn't serious. I didn't think. And so I did the old go lean against the guy's car. He'd already thrown me out of his office twice. Um, mm. So I just leaned against his car in the parking lot. And I was just like, I think it was, finally he gave in. It. It's just pity on his part. He could see that, you know, I was, too, I was between a rock yeah. and a hard space. You know, the branch manager was willing to basically give it away at cost practically just to get it off his inventory. But yeah, that was like early in my career, but one of the most memorable days because I was like, He's you know, just acting like such a dick and the way, way, I dick, hated, hated doing it. And I think that made me, in part, what I am today. You know, it was, it, my determination is like, I'm never going to do that again.
0: Well, I I would have loved to go back, and, and when he says, Don't come in on Monday, is I would have come in on Tuesday. <laughs> well, you're better
1: than I had that. <laughs>
0: 'Cause he, I know he doesn't want to lose yeah. a good deal. You, you told me to take the day off, didn't but, you? Um, yeah. You told me not to come in Monday if I couldn't get the deal. So yeah, it's a it's a personal uh, day. I was uh yeah, I was so
1: broke at that point that uh Yeah, no I wasn't I, standing yeah. up to him on that, unfortunately. But uh, well it's a choice people have to make, right? It's, it's, who right. I mean for me that was right. part of again my evolution right. as a seller to say, who do I want to be? You know, how do I present myself to my customers and to myself? And that set me on this path where you know I am today. I have other influences along the way. But
0: yeah. Yeah, you don't have to I had the good fortune to be working for an organization run by Ross Perot's sales manager at mm-hmm. IBM. And he was brilliant. And uh I even took him out on a couple of closes because he liked to go out. And you uh, know, after a while, I was I was selling so much so quickly, he he'd run in me in the hall and he'd say, "How much money are you going to make this month, Mike?" And you know, I, I mean, boy, when you're the top sales rep, life is yes. wonderful, still is. But you know, back then, I don't know about Burroughs, but on every bulletin board in the company. Was a monthly current year-to-date ranking of all the salespeople in the company and all the managers. No. And so if you're if you're on the bottom of that list and you needed an admin to stay late and do a proposal, they'd they'd <laughs> laugh at you, right? Because they knew you. <laughs> well, you talk about public right. pressure, you know. <laughs> but if you're at the top of that list, they stay till ten o'clock at no, night.
1: No, we just had a. <laughs> A whiteboard, or actually, I think it was a chalkboard at uh, the front of the, the front of the office, just for our bullpen,
0: right? So, uh, this was on all of every every person in the company, all the admins, and everybody knew who the shipbirds were and who the stars yeah. were.
1: Yeah, I think they put out a report for the district or the region, so we knew. But yeah, not the company. I, mean, I knew when I made club as a manager, like I knew I was number four in the country. You know, as a manager um uh, cuz they announced it when we were there at that club but yeah outside of that you're sort of you sort of knew who your
0: competition was uh in the local level right, right. Yeah. well one of my clients in the 80s MSA they were selling mainframe right, application yeah. software they did a monthly ranking and a year to date ranking on what percentage of list were the contracts coming in by mm-hmm. manager So they could see which managers were good negotiators and which ones were terrible, giving everything away. And this last guy, he was in Detroit, and his nickname was Moon Over (laughs) Detroit because he would drop his drawers to get a deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's, uh, yeah, it's different different environment. But I, I still I still think that that salespeople in general. Lousy negotiators. We don't train them to be negotiators. We don't train. We don't we train, don't train them to be train good forecasters. No. And yeah, I think that that uh, this idea that companies I think should think more deeply about is like everything. We have specialized sales roles. We have SDRs. These people are trained or good yeah. at outreach and connecting, making initial contacts with buyers, setting up meetings. Our AEs are specialized. Our success people are specialized. Have specialized contract people. It'll save you so much time and energy, and margin, and margin, because most times they're not comped on on the sales price. Is
0: uh, yeah, Yeah. be specialized. Even even car dealers, you know, once the salesman gets you, you know the. Dude, you go to the finance guys, yeah. the closers. Yeah. yeah.
1: You need undercoating yeah. with that, don't you? No, I don't. Especially yeah. Especially
0: in California. Why are you trying to sell me undercoating in California? Yeah. <laughs> I know. All right. But that way the salesperson didn't have to ruin their relationship with Well, you. but that's what <laughs> happens
1: though. As soon as you get into negotiations, you're adversarial, yeah. right? And especially right. Yeah. if you're a life cycle rep, right? If you're there for the duration, you're not handing over success. Uh for me, my mind, it is worth preserving that relationship for the seller so they could get Yeah, absolutely yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, hey Mike, pleasure as always yeah. to talk with you. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's fun. And yeah. uh some great
1: great advice for people today. Avoiding proposals, avoiding negotiation. Uh yeah, think about how you can incorporate that into your own selling. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Um Go on to LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn and uh, connect with me. Yeah, Yeah. that's the easiest. Excellent. All right, Mike. Until next time, when you earn the blazer. (laughs) All right. Oh, yeah. Number four. All right. We'll have to think of the juicy topic. We'll do it. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you, sir.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Mike Bosworth for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.